Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I've always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as Judge Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicles. Welcome to another edition of Clyburn Chronicles. We are very blessed today. As many of you know, uh, I entitled my memoirs, Blessed Experiences. And I say in that, that uh, in the preamble to the book, uh, that some, uh, all of my experiences have not been pleasant, but I've considered all of them to be blessings. And I feel blessed today. Uh, for the experience we're about uh, to have. And many of you have heard of our guest today. Uh, others have read about her. And today, all of you will get a chance to hear from her. Um, Dr. Kismenia Corbett, a native of North Carolina, a graduate of the University of North Carolina, at Chapel Hill, is the assistant professor of immunology and infectious diseases at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. She was previously a research fellow and coronavirus vaccine team lead at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Vaccine Research Center, where she played a fundamental role in developing the Moderna vaccine. In February 2021, Corbett was highlighted in the Times Time 100 Next list under the, uh, the category of innovators. Uh, that is a word that I've always liked, innovators. And that's what she is. Since the development of the vaccine, she has received multiple awards, such as the 2021 Benjamin Franklin Next Gen Award and the 2022 Early Career Award for Public Engagement with Science from the American Association for the Advancement of Science. This young lady, and I do mean young lady, compared to my North of 80, young lady, uh, has been critical uh, to our current quality of life. As many of you know, I chair uh, the Coronavirus Select Committee, uh, looking at how all of our appropriations to combat COVID-19 are being spent, whether it's being done efficiently 
effectively and equitably. And we just had a hearing on this on yesterday. But we are in a pretty good place in large measure because of the genius of this guest today. And I am pleased uh, to welcome uh, Dr. Corbett uh, to this podcast. Now, you grew up in rural North Carolina, and now you're going to go down in history as one of the key players who changed the course of the pandemic. How did your journey lead you to this place? Well, first of all, thank you so much for um, having me on your podcast, and and thank you for your service. I, I didn't re I didn't realize what your age was, but um, to still be on the floor voting at the age of eighty, um, all because you are indebted to public service, is certainly something that I am extremely admirable of. Um, so I, I do appreciate your service to our country. Um, you know, I am from rural North Carolina. Um, and I'm actually in the first generation of my family to go off to a four-year college even. And so being a scientist, especially having a PhD was something that was foreign to me as I was growing, growing up. I wasn't exposed to people who had PhDs. I was not exposed to um, science as a profession, but I worked in a laboratory when I was 16 at the University of North Carolina um, near where I grew up. And it really kind of opened my eyes to what the possibilities were. So I started on this journey really out of what was the curiosity of a 16 year old and um, the being voluntold by my parents that I, I must, if I was get a, going to get a job, that it must be educational. And, and really, you know, all, all things, as I say, fell into place um, in that regard. Well, uh, that's great. Uh, and I think that's a, a real interesting uh, thing you just said there about being exposed at an early age to mm -hmm. some things you never even really thought about. And that's so important. My dad used to tell me all the time that experience is the best teacher. Uh, and when you have certain experiences, uh, it tends uh, to open your eyes to a lot of things and uh, open up your mind as well. Absolutely. Uh, you've studied uh, and researched coronaviruses for many years. I find it kind of interesting. A lot of uh, people talk about how fast this came about, that people uh, don't want to take it because it, uh, it was developed too quickly. But you've been working in the labs for a long, long time on this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting how quickly things happen when you've been working on them uh, for decades. So tell us a little bit uh, about what that process was like. Um, you know, yeah, so I, I, I got to the National Institutes of Health. So for um, the listeners of the podcast, the, the NIH or the National Institutes of Health is this huge biomedical enterprise that is funded by uh, via taxpayer dollars. Um, and, and really kind of the world's leading um, biomedical research institute. Um, and, and I got there when I finished graduate school in 2014. And at the time, there was another coronavirus that was circulating called MERS, if you remember that. 
and MERS was circulating and it was very clear because MERS came, but before that it was SARS-1. It was very clear that coronavirus has had the potential to do what they're doing now, which is cause a pandemic. And so um, from our standpoint at the NIH, it was important to prepare for the, a pandemic. And we did that by um, learning how to make a vaccine against MERS. And um, that's kind of, kind of what happened over the, the six years prior to 2020 when this virus started to circulate in China. And so, yeah, the vaccine came about really quickly, but I like to remind people that it came quickly only because there were so many scientists in the background over so many years that were working towards this common goal. Well, that's great. Now, let me get down to some critical parts of this. As a young Black woman scientist, you've used your platform to address vaccine hesitancy, or as you call it, vaccine inquisitiveness. I would like to know what inspired you to coin that phrase, vaccine inquisitiveness. Right. Um, you know, for me, especially um, in our communities, I think that a lot of times the way that we frame our questions or the, even the questions that we have about things that are seemingly coming from authoritative places like the government or medicine or what have you um, can be labeled. And vaccine hesitancy to me felt like a label that was not welcoming. It not, did not allow for people to openly ask questions. It did not present a stance from the, my from my place as a scientist and from people other people's places as clinicians for them to be able to say you can answer your question and I will answer that question as best I can so I thought that labeling it as vaccine inquisitiveness gave people the space to ask their questions in a manner that would kind of create this dialogue that would help to rebuild some of the trust that have been lost over, you know, centuries even um, in the medical institution. And so um, for me, I just felt like relabeling it made the most sense. And um, I think that it has helped um, as I've heard people kind of repeat that terminology. Um, they, they started to just kind of say, well, I have questions. And so then it helps for the dialogue on the other opposite end to say, well, what are your questions and how can I help you? Well, that's great. And uh, thank you so much uh, for doing that and for thinking that way. Uh, I agree with you uh, that often uh, the words and phrases we use create uh, the condition that we seem or that we say we are combating. Uh, right. mm -hmm. so thank you so much uh, for uh, that explanation. Now, let me ask you about um, uh, the impact of, of COVID-19. As I mm -hmm. said earlier, I chair that select subcommittee, and I know uh, what we're getting from uh, people all over the country, uh, but I don't know if I've talked to anybody who has been uh, as involved scientifically with this issue as you have been. Uh, how would you, uh, go about addressing some of the disparities and uh, 
inequities that we see uh, surrounding uh, vaccinations and treatment? You know, the first thing is that um, we have to be really honest about from where the inequities come. So um, these are not, these inequities that we're seeing with COVID-19 are not news, right? We've seen inequities in healthcare, in, in treatment, in health outcomes forever, really. Um, and the first time I saw it was during the height of the, of the HIV pandemic, um, back when I was in college. You know, I was in college in Baltimore City, and you could see very starkly how one neighborhood would be completely ravished by the disease, whereas the next neighborhood or even the next street over would not be. And the difference was often either color of skin, social economic status, or what have you. And really what that says to me is that there are really some ingrained structural things that we have to really get to the root of. So we oftentimes like to place the blame, um, if you will, on lack of communication or um, lack of education, which can sometimes be um, the case. But really what's happening is there are things in our medical system, which it is a system in our medical institution that prohibits some people from getting this equal care as um, their counterparts. And um, those are the kinds of things that we're going to have to start to address, right? Um, when we think about, um, you know, there was the, back when, when the vaccine was rolling out, there was the knowledge that any one person, most people, I think it was like 90% of people in the country could be within five miles of going to get a vaccine. But if you took that five miles down to like say two or three miles, it became more and more clear how different zip codes were less or farther away from drugstores or testing sites or vaccine sites. And so we really have to get at the, at really at the root of those issues. Um, and that's gonna start, I think, um, firstly with some very clear apologies and very clear kind of us saying from where we sit on the science and, and the medical side saying we understand and we're working towards that. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I actually brought my career to a school of public health so that I could be accountable for my science reaching the public in the appropriate way. Well, that's great. I always maintain that uh, problems cannot be solved by pretending they do not exist. Absolutely. We've got to admit mm -hmm. there's a problem. And when mm -hmm. it comes to delivery of healthcare, uh, our history in this great country, and it is a great country, mm -hmm. but what we've got to do is make its greatness. And part of its greatness is the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. It's got to be made accessible and affordable for mm -hmm. all of its citizens. And that's what you're trying to do. That's what we here in the Congress are trying to do. Uh, bring our uh, resources, uh, our uh, intelligence uh, together uh, in order to, to solve these problems. Now, you are a tremendous source of pride and inspiration to a lot of young black women. Now I have uh, three daughters, 
all of them are pretty grown women. Uh, and I have four grandchildren. My, uh, one of my daughters is uh, a doctor of education, she ain't a PhD type. Uh, she didn't do a whole lot of research uh, on, uh, in science. But you are an inspiration to the people in and out of science because you are an inspiration to them as well. Uh, and I remember my daughter Jennifer, the school teacher, uh, and how carried away she was uh, with the movie uh, Hidden Figures. What mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, I mean, she just thought that every one of her students uh, had to be exposed. Uh, to the life of those those women, uh, and you, or just as inspirational uh, in what you do as they were, uh, and I uh, would like for you to share uh, with my listeners today uh, whatever advice that you would give uh, to young women interested uh, in what we call STEM. I'm a little reluctant about dealing with STEM, but I do deal with it. Mm -hmm. But how would you uh, advise them to that? I think, um, I think, you know, what's really important about um, our understanding with STEM fields and finance and all of these in tech and all of these fields that have generally not had positions, particularly positions higher up, those positions in power and leadership that have been filled with women is because of the stigmas that are attached to the field, right? In STEM, it's that, you know, you work these long hours and that you kind of have to be, you have to be very hardcore and um, oftentimes intolerable or all of these things that don't generally come with the stereotypes around being a woman. And so oftentimes it can be intimidating for women to even step into those fields. And so what I like to tell young women is that part of us branching into these fields is changing the narrative about what the field even entails and what being a scientist really means and what being a you know person in tech or a financier um, really means. And what it really means is anyone can do it because all I do every day is ask questions and then figure out how to answer those questions. And all of the other things that people talk about that come with the field might be true, but you have the ability to change those dynamics by bringing your true self to the field. And so I don't really, I don't tend to subscribe to, oh, you have to be super hardcore or you have to, you know, work all of these hours and you can't have a family and like all of these things that come with the stereotype of being a scientist. I just go to work, ask very clear questions about how this world turns about science, neurology and immunology. And then I answer those questions and I leave all of the other things um, from a stereotypical perspective on the table. And what that will remind, what it starts to do is it starts to help everyone around me see the shift in the atmosphere. And as more and more women start to do that, the fields are slowly beginning to change. And so if you, as a young girl, consider yourself, you know, a young woman in its, in its true form, 
don't be intimidated by what people say you should look like or be like in order to become a scientist or technician or whatever. Well, thank you for that. I, um, you know, this is uh, Women's History Month, mm-hmm. uh, last day of last it. Last day. <laughs> and we wanted to get this in uh, before the month is over. Uh, my listeners won't hear it uh, until uh, after the month is over, but. That's all right. I want them all to know that this was my way, uh, one of my ways of celebrating uh, Women's History Month. Now, in closing, and I don't want the, you to have to go through my run into another vote. Uh, <laughs> do you have any advice that you would like to share? Now, you know, being a politician, I, I'm full of advice. Uh, one of which I keep on uh, the wall of my office here. I keep a little poster over my head uh, with, it, with the uh, picture of a turtle, which is my favorite uh, uh, reptile. And it says, the caption is this, behold the turtle. It makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. Mm. You know, if you keep your neck, the turtle keeps his neck under the shell, you will never move. Mm-hmm. Now, that's my advice to everybody. Now, do you have any advice that you would like to offer to my listeners today who may be interested in following in your footsteps or uh, in um, learning? from you as they are being inspired by you. Right. You know, I think I'm I'm going to I'm going to say slow and steady wins the race. Kind of going back to your turtle example, I think that one of the things that particularly as I was as I was starting um work with coronaviruses, everyone was like, "Why would you work on coronaviruses? You know, uh they really don't matter and all of these things." But I just kind of kept chugging away at the thing that I believed in that mattered for me. Um, and lo and behold, here we are, you know, now have setting world record with vaccine development and et cetera, um, because slow and steady really does run the way. And oftentimes, especially in this day and age, we get into the habit of comparing ourselves to our peers. You look across there, they're doing this. You look over there, they're doing that. But really, the race is with you. Your only competition is yourself. And um, you know that when the, when the turtle was racing the hair, the turtle was not looking to the side, just straight ahead, focusing on their goal. And I think that that is absolutely the takeaway um, from my career and so many other successful people's career that I know. It's amazing that you would say that because uh, this weekend I'm spinning uh, with a group we call Clyburn Fellows. Uh, these are a group of 40 to 50 young people that spent a year, this is my sixth class, spent a year studying South Carolina's history and the political history of South Carolina. Uh, in this fellowship, uh, I meet with them often. I'm gonna meet with them this weekend. And when I pin them uh, after they finish a year, on that little pin is a turtle. And that and the caption on it is, 
be stay focused, stay steady. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> my office, all around my uh, house. Uh, people come off sometime and you look at me and look at the turtles. What is this with turtles? Well, that turtle is my mascot. Uh, and thank you so much for picking up on staying focused, staying steady. Uh, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. An inspiration. Absolutely. Uh, not just to young African-American women. You are an inspiration to us older African-American <laughs> men as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, blessings to you. Bye. Thank you very much. You have just been experiencing another edition of Clyburn Chronicles. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clyburn Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn.